Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us in this moment. You would draw near to us in your word, that you would draw near to us in the body of Christ, that you would draw near to us in this place. And God, I pray that you would give us grace to receive your presence gladly, to not run from you in shame as Adam and Eve did, but that we, Lord, by the blood of Jesus, would know that we are safe in your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, growing up in Lompoc, I lived down the street from the local bowling alley. It's, it's no longer there. Uh, if you drive through Lompoc and wonder where the bowling alley is, it is now a retirement home. But I lived down the street from the bowling alley there in Lompoc. And one day on a, on a weekend sometime in my my early teens, uh, I may have been late junior high, early high school, I can't quite remember what age I was, but a friend of mine, Carlos and I, we decided to go waste several hours that day at the bowling alley. And so we were terrible bowlers, uh, but they gave free refills on fountain sodas, so we were just like chugging soda, rolling gutter balls, and, uh, and doing what, you know, kids in their early teens do. And I can't remember if I was just distracted by the game um, or, or just had one too many refills. But there came a point at the end when all of a sudden my bladder was in dire straits. And so I ran into the bathroom. And before uh, I could get to a stall, the floodgates opened. I stood there in the middle of the bathroom as nature took its course. I remember in that moment that feeling, that feeling that there is, there is absolutely no way out of this scenario. There is absolutely no way I can go from this place without experiencing the, the ridicule and the shame. Even my friend, like we were in our early teens, even a friend is not going to protect that kind of shame. And so I did the only thing I could possibly do. 
I threw open those doors, bolted through the bowling alley, screamed to Carlos, I'm racing you home, and took off down the street. I was not the fastest kid on the block by any means, but I could have beat Usain Bolt that day. I tore off down the street. Carlos is super confused. He's got no idea what's going on. I get home, throw open the door, go to my room, and change before Carlos ever gets back to the house. And he is so confused. But I was safe. (laughs) And until this moment, I don't think I've ever shared that story with anyone else. (laughs) Shame has power in our lives. Shame is a powerful force in our lives. It's, It's not just the feeling of having done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that something is wrong with us. Something is broken. Something has gone terribly awry. Author Brene Brown defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. See, I can tell that story today because I know that it doesn't actually mean that anything was wrong with me, right? There's lots of things wrong with me, but wetting my pants in the bowling alley is the least of my concerns. But 13-year-old me didn't know that. And I wish I could say that, you know what? I learned a a lesson in that moment that there is no reason to be ashamed and there's no reason to, to hide from anyone. But the truth is that I've struggled with shame throughout my entire life. Not just related to bathroom misfortunes, but as I got older, there were other things that I was more intent to hide. I wasn't a believer, and so I wouldn't have necessarily called these things sin, but I hid a lot from my parents. I hid a lot from my friends for fear that if anyone found out what I had done, if anyone found out who I truly was, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me. I would be rejected. And so I got really good at hiding. It got really good at hiding. And Jesus met me when I was 19 years old. And I wish that I could say that in that moment, I stopped hiding. But by that age, it was ingrained. It was a defense mechanism. It had become a way of life. It's taken me a very long time to appreciate living in authenticity and in transparency. But to be honest with you, I am still tempted to hide. I think a lot of us are too. We know the grace of God, or maybe you don't. But either way, there's still things about our lives that we feel like they must stay covered. See, the temptation to hide our sin is as old as sin itself. Genesis 3 doesn't only record the origins of sin, but of shame as well. It's not unique to Adam and Eve. It's not unique to you. 
It's not unique to me. Genesis 3 records the human condition that when we do something that we believe is wrong, this feeling washes over us that we must cover our tracks. We must hide from the consequences. We must justify. We have to make excuses. We can blame others for our mistake. It's part of our sin nature. And that's what we see Adam and Eve doing in this passage. See, previously, the text said that in their innocence, they were naked and unashamed. But now that they had disobeyed God, it says that they were very much aware of their nakedness. They're exposed and they're seen for who they truly are and they're ashamed. They're not just embarrassed. So there's a difference between embarrassment and shame. We can laugh at something that is embarrassing. Um, when I'm driving, I'm most often listening to K-Tide in my car. And on the morning show, uh, they recently had guests call in to tell the stories of their most embarrassing moments. And so people jumped at the chance to call and tell about something that happened to them, uh, something that was humorous, something that was embarrassing, and, and they could laugh at themselves. It would be a very different segment if they invited people to call in with their most shameful stories. We don't laugh at the things that bring us shame. We don't tell stories of the things that bring us shame. We try to cover it up. There are things that can never be known, things that we could never be understood, things that nobody could ever forgive. Nobody can know who I truly am. That is shame. And so like Adam and Eve, we're tempted to cover our tracks. We, we blame shift and we hide from one another and we hide from God as well. So the first thing I want us to see in this text today is that shame is not just an internal feeling that causes us to hide from, from the judgment or the rejection of others, but shame will prevent us from experiencing deep connection with God and others because shame is a barrier to intimacy. Shame is a barrier to intimacy with God and intimacy with others. See, Adam had once proclaimed that his wife was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. That means they were one. It means that, that she was like him. When he opened his eyes from the deep sleep and he looked at the woman that God had made, his first reaction is she is like me. None of the animals we're like Adam, but he opens his eyes and sees their similarities, even their differences that they saw. And there are differences between men and women, but even those differences served to make them compatible so that they could live life as one flesh. He looked at her and even in their differences, he saw someone that was like him. But now they are keenly aware of how different they are. And so rather than their differences making them compatible, their differences are seen as threatening. And so they cover themselves. That's why they put clothes on over their differences. So as to not be seen by the other person and judged or questioned or doubted and rejected, they cover 
their differences and they other the other person. You are different from me now. Their intimacy with one another is hindered. And our intimacy with one another is hindered when we operate out of shame rather than out of authenticity and transparency. But then they hear God coming to them in the garden and they freak out and they run and they hide from God. When they had had this beautiful, intimate relationship with their creator, they're now terrified. Don't let him see us. And they run and they hide in the trees. And once they're confronted, all they do, they squirm and they try to avoid taking responsibility by blaming everyone else. Adam just straight up goes, yeah, the, the woman made me do it. The woman, actually, the woman that you made, made me do it. He doesn't just blame Eve. He blames God. And then Eve then turns around and says, the serpent, subtext, the serpent that you made, God made me do it. He's the one. He gave me the fruit and I ate. See, we do the same thing. Conversations about this text, conversations about the fall, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One of the first questions that people will ask is why did God even make it? God, why did you make the tree? And in a subtle way, we put responsibility for our sin, our choice, our decisions onto God. Adam blames the woman, blames God. Eve blames the serpent, blames God. And so this, this sin and this shame, this attempt to hide, this barrier to intimacy ends up tearing us away from one another and away from God. See, we hear this story in church oftentimes and we think about because of their sin, God expelled them from the Garden of Eden and he would eventually do that. He would, we'll talk about that next week, that he eventually removes them from the garden to, to prevent them from taking from the fruit of the tree of life and living forever in their sin. But before God ever exiles them from the garden, Adam and Eve barred themselves from God's presence. God shows up and they run. They remove themselves from the presence of God. And so how many of us today are in this place and we feel like God has been distant? But God is not withholding his presence from us and yet we are running from his presence because of something in our lives, either that we have done or that has been done to us, that we refuse to bring to him in honesty and transparency and receive grace. See, hiding and blaming, lying, these are like walls that we put up around ourselves to protect us from experiencing uh, the exposure uh, and, 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 and judgment of others. But these same walls also prevent us from experiencing the love and the care from others. They, they protect us from pain by keeping our true selves unknown. But those same walls keep us from experiencing love because our true selves are unknown. 
Even if someone loves you for the kinds of things that you post on your social media accounts, they're only loving what you're letting them see. And if they do not love you for what they cannot see, you can't feel love, even if they want to, even if they want to love you and receive you and accept you, if you are unknown, if there are walls up, we don't experience the satisfaction and the intimacy of that love. They only love the version of ourselves that we let them see. And so in the end, we're simply cut off from any sort of meaningful relationships because we're afraid to be known lest we be found out. This impacts our relationship with God. It impacts our marriages. It impacts our relationships with one another. It impacts every single relationship we will ever encounter. Shame will keep us from intimacy. It will always drive us away from those closest to us. But the primary focus in this text is not just the general way that shame impacts our relationships, but specifically how shame affects our relationship with God. And so the reason shame is a barrier to intimacy with God is because shame trains us to see God as our rival. Shame trains us to see God as our rival because shame creates a deep insecurity that causes us to interpret interactions and experiences according to our fears. Shame will cause us to interpret every experience, every interaction that we have based on our fears of being exposed. And so there's an interesting example of this in our passage. The English Standard Version translates a particular phrase, uh, the cool of the day. That God is walking to, through the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this has been a debated phrase throughout Christendom and translated a variety of ways in our English texts. But the two words there, cool and day, are the Hebrew words ruach, which we have talked about, and yom. Ruach means wind or breath or spirit. And yom can mean day or storm. So there are some who believe this should be translated and they heard the sound of the Lord God going in the garden in the wind of the storm. In this sense, God is not taking an afternoon stroll. Okay, but he's coming in a fierce tempest. If you remember when God comes to Job at the end of the book of Job in the whirlwind and he says, I will question you and you will answer me comes in power. So I'll ask the question, what is it? Which is it? Is God coming to Adam and Eve in, in the cool of the day or is he coming to them in the wind of the storm? What if it's both? Here's what I mean by that. Imagine you are at work and you receive a text message from your boss that says, stop by my office when you have a chance. Okay, it's an innocuous text message. Could be asking your lunch order. Could be, you know, just uh, wants to tell you a joke or talk about the game over the weekend, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's an innocuous text. But let's say you receive that text message just moments after you made a blunder that cost the company millions. That text is the wind of the storm. 
What if you receive the text message just moments after landing a multi-million dollar account? Cool of the day. What if the author so beautifully uses double entendre here, not so that we will know the, 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 the specifics of what happened, but so that we are invited into the text. We are invited to put ourselves in Adam and Eve's place and based on our shame or our pride, we are invited to ask the question, when God comes to us, when God draws near to you right now in this moment, storm, or delight? Do you experience God's presence drawing near to you as something desirable or something that you have to create distance from? Shame creates a deep insecurity that will cause us to interpret experiences and interactions according to our fears. And so if we are hiding in shame, then even when God comes in kindness, we'll resist him. Even the gentle approach of the presence of God can feel terrifying. See, shame trades, trains us to regard God as our rival, but God does not want us to live according to our shame but according to his grace. See, grace trains us to see God as our refuge. See, where Adam and Eve had taken refuge in the trees, God invites us to take refuge in him. I've been reading through the book of the Psalms, uh, trying, to, trying to read through Psalms at a, at, a, at a faster clip than I normally do. And I have been shocked, honestly shocked recently, how many times I read in the book of Psalms that God is a refuge or a shelter or a fortress or a strong tower, that, that, that God's presence is a place for us to find shelter whether in times of trouble, in times of celebration, or even in times of sin and shame, God in the book of Psalms is the one that we are supposed to run to, not from. My, my, my kids and I, as they've grown up, we've had this, this rule that, about confession. That look, I know you're going to do things in life that aren't good. I just want to find out from you. I just want you to be the one to tell me. Because if you're the one to tell me, not only will consequences be more lenient because you're demonstrating, you know, maturity and responsibility and taking responsibility for your actions, but now I can be your advocate. I can defend you. I can protect you. Not lie for you, but I can give you wisdom on how to navigate this experience. What's going on? And so I want to create an environment where my kids feel like they can run to me with the stuff that they're not proud of. And so God has created an environment through his word that invites us to run to him with our shame instead of running from him with our shame. Listen to how David talks about even in his sin being confronted by God in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I hid, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Selah. It's how many of us feel in our hidden sin and in our shame. David says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Church, God wants to cover your sin and your shame. We are invited to run to him and experience grace and forgiveness. God is our refuge. David, again, in Psalm 32, 7, he calls God our hiding place. The things that you want to hide, you are invited to bring to the Lord. We are invited to bring to the Lord, whether things that we have done or things that have been done to us, we can bring those to the Lord. And he has promised to be a hiding place for us. He has promised to be a safe place for us. He has promised to be a refuge, a sanctuary to us. Shame won't let you believe that. The devil won't let you believe that. Your flesh won't let you believe that. No, we're told constantly, just keep it hidden. Keep it quiet. Don't say anything. Can't tell that person. Oh, don't talk to your pastors about that. Oh, they'll, they'll kick you out of the church if you talk to them about that. Don't tell them what you're thinking. Don't tell them what you're feeling. Don't tell them what you're hiding. Yeah, yeah, God forgives your sins, so you don't need to talk to him about this. It's, it's, it's forgiven. He, he, you know, it, it's just better that you leave this separate, leave this out of the story. And your heavenly father who loves you is coming to you today and say, come to me. Draw near to me as I draw near to you. Let me in to those places. It's not that he's ignorant to them. He already sees it. You're not, you're not hiding anything. As God draws near to you, don't run. Don't run. Hide yourself in him. God is calling to you. He forgives your sin. He covers your shame. Run to him while grace may still be found. Maybe you're here and, and, and you're resistant to faith. You can make a defense intellectually for why you, know, you don't believe faith can be justified in a world of empirical evidence and all of those things. That's fine, you can make that argument. But you can't make that argument alone. I want to invite you to be honest about the shame, the things that you are afraid to bring to God, the things that you are afraid will be exposed if you let God see those things. 
Maybe you're here and, and you're a believer. You've been a believer for a long time. Chances are there are still things you don't want to talk about. It's okay. You don't have to talk with everyone about them. But you do have to talk to the Lord about them. And God has placed people in your life to love you and to cover you with grace and to protect you and to demonstrate the hiding place that God can be for you. And the reason you're not experiencing intimacy with the Lord that you want to is possibly, possibly, because if you got too close, he would know. He would force you to deal with this issue in your life, this sin in your life, this trauma in your life. And it's tempting to run, but don't. Don't run. There is freedom on the other side of the light shining in the darkness. There's freedom for you. There's intimacy with God for you. Don't run. There will come a day when God will call us and we will not be able to hide. There will come a day when God will judge both the living and the dead according to our works. He'll call our name and we won't be able to hide in the shadows any longer. Death will not even be able to hide us. There's a story from John chapter 11 when Jesus' friend Lazarus died and was in the tomb for four days. Jesus rolls up, tells them to roll the stone away and he calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus has to come back from the dead just to obey Jesus' words. And one day the Lord will come and he will call your name and he will call you out of hiding and you will stand before his throne and you will be judged according to your works. Scripture is absolutely clear and the world wants to tell you that as long as your good works outweigh your bad works that you are going to be okay. But that's not what scripture says. It's like saying this glass of water is more water than sewage. So drink up. The Lord cannot be in the presence of wickedness. He cannot be in the presence of sin. It's not about the severity of your sin. Adam and Eve ate a piece of fruit that he told them not to, and it resulted in death. It doesn't matter if someone else's sin is worse than your sin. Our sin separates us from God. And God will call our name and we'll stand before him and be asked to give an account. But today, God invites us to come to him with that same sin and be cleansed by it. To be forgiven of our sin. He knows it. He's not drawing you to him so that you can confess all the dirty little details and he can decide what to do with you. He's already decided what to do with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to remake you. And many of us will still refuse to come to him because some, uh, for some false intellectual reason, we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be known. But he invites you today. Look up. Take your eyes off of your shame. 
take your eyes off of the darkness. Let's take our eyes together off of, of the, the place in the trees where Adam and Eve tried to hide. And let's look to the cross. Shame wants us to regard God as a rival, but grace wants us to regard God as a refuge. But here's the truth. God is both. He is a rival to our sin, but a refuge for the sinner. It is only at the cross that we can be truly honest about our sin and recognize the consequences that it deserves, that the wages of sin are death and separation from God, and yet experience the grace and the refuge in the presence of Christ. Only at the cross can we see God's judgment against our sin and his grace for the sinner. There is grace for you no matter what you've done. There is cleansing for you no matter what has been done to you. No matter what you are fighting with, no matter what you are struggling with, no matter what anyone else in your life will say about you, no matter what intimacy has been broken, what relationships have been lost because of sin, God will not turn his back on you. He will send his son for you. Do not run from a God who doesn't run from you. But like the father in the story of the prodigal son runs to his son, throws his arms around his son, kisses his son, puts the ring on his finger, slaughters the fattened calf and throws a party. He had just spent all of his father's wealth on gluttony and prostitutes. And the father says, I'm so glad you're back. That is the reception that your father in heaven will give you if you come to him in eagerness and honesty and transparency and say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned. He says, I know it's okay. I will cover your shame. He runs to you to receive you. He is not on the wind of the storm. He comes to you in the cool of the day to bring sweet blessings and love and grace to you. Don't hide. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Why should you be cut off from God's love and forgiveness in eternity when he offers it to you in abundance today? Jesus has traded places with you. The penalty that our sin deserves, he took in your place so that the life and the love and the intimacy with the father that he deserves, you can have in his place. If anyone had the right to shift blame as he hung there on the cross, it was Jesus. Father, it wasn't me, it was them. And yet as he's dying, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's confess that we don't know what we're doing. That our sin and and our shame, we are unable to part from ourselves. But God in Christ can forgive and cover your shame. When you confess your sin, the power that shame had over all of your life is washed away. The power that shame has is the darkness. And it feels like there's nothing we can do to leave. 
the darkness. God's grace shines a light in the darkness. And the moment you acknowledge before the Lord, before those you're afraid of, you will realize that though your sin may be significant, it doesn't have as much power over you as you think it does. Especially when the cross has a greater power than your sin. There's freedom from shame available in Jesus. There is power for authenticity and love in Jesus. There is safety to be known and accepted, not only in Christ, but also in the church. And so church, Jesus is drawing near to you today. Brother and sister, Jesus is drawing near to you today. If you are here and you don't know the grace of God, Jesus is drawing near to you today, not in a tempest of wrath, but in gentleness and eagerness to save you. So don't hide from his voice. Let's hide ourselves in his grace. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask that right now we may find grace in your presence. God, I pray that now as as, as your presence draws near, that whatever the inclinations of our heart are, we wouldn't listen to them. We wouldn't listen to the lies of the enemy or the fears of our heart, Lord, but that we would listen to your word, that you are a hiding place, that you are a refuge in our time of need. Lord, draw near to us now. Forgive us of our sin and cover our shame. Lord, be a refuge to us today. For those who are here who who know you and those who are here who may not know you. Lord, I pray that all of us would leave here knowing the grace of Jesus. Knowing that they are truly known, fully known, and fully loved. Lord, call our name. Draw near to us. And give us faith and trust to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.